Welcome back to CodingCat.dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Here is Alex Patterson and Brittany Postma. Hello, welcome back, peeps. 2023 in the house. We are uh, doing this as our first recording, even even though it's not our first episode for the year. So uh, we are here with Max. Hello, Max. Happy New Year. We've, we've been harassing Max this entire time on the pre-show because his camera is amazing. <laughs> You'll notice throughout that it, it decides when to zoom in on him. Yeah, it's oh, pretty yes. cool. It'd be amazing if you could say, hey, zoom in now, and it would actually do it. <laughs> probably can use the buttons. It does other things as well. Like... Is that one of the ones that, yeah, I'm like, you can do the emojis and stuff. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I might have to like at least get some software that can do some of this stuff. I don't know. <laughs> the Lumix is behind, I guess. Yes, it's the uh, the Lumina. I uh, as I was saying before the show, I didn't really recommend it. So, <laughs> it's, it's very buggy. I feel like I'm I was like, it seems a little with... finicky. Yeah, it has good uh, clarity though, so that's nice. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways. So, Max, can you give us a little information about your background, kind of how you got going in, like, the open source tech world and probably another product maybe that, that others have heard about that, that you were a part of in the beginning? Sure. Um, so I never thought I wanted to do development or be a programmer, even though my dad introduced it to me when I was six. Uh, like, I think a lot of British kids my age, because the BBC sort of, funded this computer that they called the BBC Micro and it sort of ended up in everyone's household. It was relatively cheap. I've never you know, heard that before. That. Yeah, Me either. Thing. Yeah. And um, it booted straight to a basic prompt, so it booted into a programming language. I think like quite a lot of computers at that time, but it meant that a lot of kids my age sort of learned to program essentially and I, I uh, would go to the school computer lab at lunch and crack out like programs with my friends and we were trying to make video games and things and like, as a result like you know i was trying to make games and everybody considered it for a career and then I, I remember i met some people who worked as developers one time and i thought they were like the geekiest people i'd ever met and i was a uh, 13 14 years old at the time so i was very influential for in that capacity so i uh, went off and did a chemistry degree and after getting that I spent a year in industry and realized it was a horrible mistake and I hated it. Um, oh. actually, what, what kind of jobs do you like expect to have coming like out of chemistry like that? Well, exactly. Like, I was naive and stupid. I think like what happened is I watched too many sci-fi movies and thought that science was like that. You know, you're going to build time machines <laughs> and you're going to change the world or destroy it. So <laughs> and, uh, my yeah. husband, my husband has a biochemistry degree and I was wondering the same thing and he went on to med school. So that's one path for scientists is to go into medical school. But um, he also worked for Pfizer. So pharmaceutical companies like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I Other grew things up uh, near Midland in Michigan and they have Dow Chemical. So there's there's a ton of that. But I was always curious, like when you go into that, like what do you expect to do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was naive about it. I, you know, I enjoyed the schooling. I, mm -hmm. I remember, like, enjoying learning how chemistry worked and doing all the diagrams and things. But, you know, as, as a lot of careers are, the, the schooling is very different to the reality. And it was really depressing. I, I remember I uh, went back and lived with my parents. I didn't know what to do with myself. I just quit because I just couldn't handle it. 
And uh, so I installed Linux on my home computer because uh, I'd heard about it and it seemed cool. And I fell into working on open source because it was such a welcoming community. And I had this programming that was just a hobby, but I'd always enjoyed it. And um, so I, I started working on apps and I got into a few that became somewhat popular working with other people. And it just dragged me into it. I loved the way it was global. There was people from all over the world. Uh, you could, uh, I loved the Unix tool set. I loved Linux, even though like th there was so much that could be improved, and I loved that. I wanted to, I wanted to help make it so much better. Like in the end, I fell out of love with Linux because um, like, there was one time where my Wi-Fi driver just kept failing, and I couldn't get on the internet to figure out why it was failing. And, oh. uh, it was just, I was like, I want an operating system where I can rely on the Wi-Fi. <laughs> so I switched to Mac because of that. Uh, you know, Apple have a good open source background. I feel yeah, like so that's the programmer conundrum too, is that if we couldn't Google why our things are not working, <laughs> we would, would we even be programmers? Yeah. Like it's, it teaches you a lot of skills. I think that I think in a way people don't learn as easily anymore because like, you know, since stack overflow, especially and things like that, mm -hmm. uh, before stack overflow, finding the answers to problems was so much more difficult that you had to learn like this more hardcore approach to solving problems but i don't miss having those weeks of frustration <laughs> <laughs> figuring out how to do things because you know all you can find is one entry on the internet on a forum somewhere where someone asked a question and then the next <laughs> answer is oh i fixed it and they never say why yeah. or how they oh, did it no you clue uh, that was so common um so yeah, uh, I was doing open source and my parents kicked me out of the house and told me to go get a job. <laughs> go figure, uh, huh? <laughs> I was working nights so I wouldn't have to talk to them, living under their roof, like waiting for leftovers to be left when they went to bed. <laughs> so I get I get why they did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I approached uh, this startup in London called Last Femme who were using, um, they liked one of the apps I'd been working on. It was a music app called Amarok. And so they gave me a job. So I got into the industry via open source. So for me, open source has always been, you know, the, the main reason I, I'm in this. And uh, it's how I managed to get paid doing something that I love. Nice. Did, did you find that um, transitioning, like, past that first initial, like, career was challenging to stay in open source? Um, yeah. Was was your next move? Was it homebrew after that, or what? Where did that kind of fit into the timeline? Yeah, so I was at Last Firm, uh, Last Firm, like three or four years, um, which is pretty much the longest job I ever had. But it was a, it was really fun to work there. It was the beginning of Web two, so we felt that we were actually like yeah. changing how the internet worked. Yeah. Um, so it, they they their software was open source, but I wasn't really doing much outside of Last Femme open source wise for most of my time there. But towards the end, I was lead developer on the client team. Uh, so we made all the apps that Last Femme had and there were six of them. Uh, one for Windows, Linux and Mac and Android, iPhone and a Blackberry app because uh, Blackberry had a very brief app store. And uh, maintaining these six different apps was awful. Um, we used Mac because it was like the common platform. You could, 
you could install the Android SDK on a Mac and you could run a Windows emulator on the Mac yep. and then uh, a, a Linux emulator for, uh, you know, just general getting um, Linux working. It was, it was almost always like a default because if you ever wanted to go iOS too, like you had to have a Mac. So it, yeah, it kind like, of kicked out. It's hard to believe nowadays, but at the time, um, Mac was not the platform for developers. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was 2008, 2009-ish. Um, at this time, and I was, you know, the all the designers uh, and all the executives use Mac, but most of the developers had Linux, and I was one of the few developers that had a Mac, and it was around then that, that it started to shift. And like, probably Homebrew was part of that reason, honestly, like, uh, I have no way to prove that. <laughs> but before Homebrew... Um, getting the tools you needed as a developer on your Mac was not as easy, not as fun. Like there was other package managers, so there's Mac ports and there was Fink. And Mac ports, everything compiled from source. Well, Brew compiled everything from source initially, but I did the enormous shortcut of cutting out the bottom 80% of the stack and just relying on what Apple provided uh, for, uh, for us. Uh, so the amount of time it took to get the tools you needed was cut from like literally like 10 or 11 hours down to like maybe 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, it was a very compelling feature. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, this was an era before... I was talking to the current lead maintainer on Homebrew recently and we were discussing how it was then, but this was before continuous integration. Yeah. Uh, before the term even existed, you know. <laughs> And the idea of continuous deployment was also something that nobody had really thought of. And so for open source, to be able to like provide binary packages, it meant that people had to donate the hardware, like uh, other people who cared about what you built. So for Brew, that didn't happen for several years, because it took several years for people to think, oh, that Brew's pretty great, so uh, we should let them have some hardware so they can build binaries. So compiling from source was really the only option. I remember on... Twitter, there was some guy who was giving me a hard time because we compiled from source. I was like, well, what else are we going to do? Are you going to give me a computer? <laughs> <laughs> Every time? That'd be wonderful, right? Yeah. And I, uh, so I started T now, which is, you know, it's Brew 2 in um, the spiritual successor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, straight away, we're doing binaries and you can't even compile things from source by default because... Compiling things from, from by source is a, is a nightmare, really. <laughs> that's, that's why there are package managers, because we, we know how to do it, and we put the frustrating work into figuring out how to do it for you. Different era. So, well, anyway, your question was um, about how Homebrew started and uh, you know, what open source I was doing up until then. And yeah. I started Homebrew because we were doing these six apps, and it was difficult. All the different open source libraries we used all the different build systems. And like we spent I don't know, 30%, 40% of our time just messing around, getting the build systems to work, getting the libraries to work, keeping everything up to date. And uh, I'd complain about this all the time with my coworkers. And one day, one of them challenged me to do something about it because they were fed up with me making so much fuss. And uh, I went home and I realized that I hadn't really done any new open source in a while and uh, I, I wanted to. So I got started essentially with what became Brew. Um, after a few months, it was super useful, so I open sourced it, and then it took another like six months before anyone noticed it. But... <laughs> and then it's like crazy used ever since. It's it's just unbelievable. 
yeah, the the adoption was really phenomenal, and uh, I loved it. It was it was so fun to work on something that everyone was super passionate about. Like yeah. the timing was perfect for what it was. And the stack I used was perfect timing. Like Ruby was becoming really popular at the time because of Ruby on Rails. Yeah. And Mac was the up and coming dev platform. And uh, Mac Ports wasn't really good enough. Like uh, for a while, our tagline was uh, Mac Ports driving you to drink? Question mark. <laughs> Try home brew. <laughs> oh my goodness. Which, Amazing. you know, after a few years, we realized was pretty rude <laughs> so we stopped we got rid of it but at the time it was fun you know yeah i mean it, just... it still sounds super fun i mean you have yeah. like brew as the name you have casks you have pouring i mean it's it's got to be fun at the you know end of the day especially at the bar talking about this stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i was i spent a lot of time thinking about the names of everything in homebrew because i spent a lot of time in general making designing it so that it would be easy for people to come into the project and figure out how they could be part of it. And one thing I've always noticed with dev tools is, uh, you know, and a lot of technically minded software is that people use terrible names for things and you can't figure out what anything does. Or some things don't even have names. They're just mm -hmm. referred to with like half sentence descriptions. And, um, you know, if you, if you, want people to contribute you've got to get them understanding things as quickly as possible so yeah. all the names in brew were attempts at metaphors so that you could understand uh, or at least have a, an inkling of an idea about the, the design and architecture of the entire system and i think i was mostly successful with that i went a bit far in places <laughs> I've, I've I, I think more it, super fun. It, is, it is cool that they like connect through too though uh let's take a quick break uh with our sponsors here and then we'll come back and, and chat about tea how in the world could i forget about this there's no need to freak out we have storyblock robert you're right but we still need a plan okay how much time do we have left until the launch 24 hours okay let's go ready to publish. So let's get this baby online. Thank you again for uh, sponsoring us, Storyblock, in 2023. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Fun new... That was uh, awesome. Nice, nice new ad going. Yeah, that's pretty wild, right? <laughs> um, so Max, you, you kind of broke down like your open source and, and how you kind of came up with Brew and some of the naming fun. Now you've named a, a new fun product called T uh, or T.XYZ is the, the domain name. Um, it's probably incorrect to call it a package manager from what I understand. Do you have a, a better description of like what T is and, and kind of what T offers? Sure. Um, so, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek when I say it's not a package manager, because obviously it is a package manager. But, you know, I am worked on Brew much since like 2016 or so. Burned out. It was, and I felt it was done. You know, it was good enough. And so I wanted to move on to other things. And it, it's a good product, but the reality is like once you build something, you're always thinking about what the next version could be like and so over the years i had like all these notes and i was like oh, i could do this and i could do that 
And um, it was funny, like last year when I was, uh, I, I was talking to a friend and he was, he's always been into crypto stuff. And I never really was because, uh, you know, for like, like many people, skeptical about it. And he's always been trying to get me into it. And then he, uh, you know, NFTs were going crazy. And I saw, so I started to look in all the other stuff. And I saw this connection between um, what you can do with crypto and funding the open source community. And then like, I had this moment of inspiration where I realized that a package manager knows the entire open source ecosystem. And so with smart contracts and crypto, we could effectively fund open source. And like my career has always been one where I'm in between jobs doing open source or doing two jobs at once doing open source. Like homebrew was two jobs at once for years and years. So I managed to get funding and, you know, founded T. And, uh, you know, I never really thought I'd do a brew too because even though I had all these cool ideas, I just didn't really want to do it again. I'd done it once. I like doing new things, but because I saw this idea for funding how open source works, like at the time I was working on open source and not getting paid, you know, so I, I've always wanted to figure out if there was a solution to that. And I tried a few things and you know, over the years they didn't really work, but this one I think will. But as, as a result, I get to write a new version of Brew, essentially, like something which is a package manager that is new. And I came at it with the perspective that package managers are this really powerful tool. They, they make it so that all the other things that you need as a developer, or like any kind of person using a computer, frankly, like over the years with Brew, I received emails from architects and musicians and scientists and all sorts who use Brew because it provide, it was really the only way to get some of these tools. Some of these uh, complicated like stacks of open source software, you need a package manager to provide that. So I realized that, you know, there's so much more that can be done. So T is, is out now, I go to TXYZ and you can follow the link to the GitHub. Uh, it's been out just about two months. And so like, it doesn't even have an install command. It's like one of the uh, the crazy things about it. Like what's a package manager without an install command, right? <laughs> like, it's crazy. Um, and that's because I don't think you should really install things in a global sense if you're doing if you're a developer if you're if you're working on things and like in many other ways as well uh, they should be like you know you people spin up Docker instances all over the place nowadays for the exact reason that they want a container they want it to be containerized and separated so T like things are never really installed in like a conventional sense. You run T commands and it, it gives you access to the open source ecosystem. It puts all that power at your fingertips. And as I built this out, I started to realize that it was actually really cool and interesting how it can work because of that. And so we've extended it all over the place. And like now we've got what we're calling like T pipelines where essentially you can construct like, uh, you know, it's just a Unix pipeline. But any tool from the entire open source ecosystem, just bung it in there. You can share that with anyone. And then they're not really installing anything. There's no permanent consequences to this. It doesn't matter if you've already got a version of Node installed and this one requires uh, an older version of Node. It's not going to break anything else that you're working on. Every project that you have on your computer, uh, every project your team has, every project that you work on as an open source developer, it has its own containerized environment and you can work yeah. on it separately. You're not worried about like the pollution that might happen between these different tools. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty great. And like the next version, I'm making it so that you don't even need to type in T 
we're, we're hooking into the command not found handler and we're just going to like auto install everything you type in and uh, i we played with this idea <laughs> that's as, crazy we played with the idea thinking it was dumb right because <laughs> like you, surely this isn't really what you want so i i put it in my shell configuration and tried it and after a few days i was like this is insanely good <laughs> it's just so much fun you can just type anything that you see from the internet and uh try it out immediately and there's no permanent consequences just hang on so let's let's there. talk about this a minute yeah. my brain just kind of broke so <laughs> like if i want to run a docker command i don't have docker installed i type docker you're telling me like it auto installs that thing so it's like yeah. npx without the npx yeah yeah well you can type npx if you haven't got npx installed and it will install it and then do whatever you've told it to npx uh react create react app or craw yeah whatever i can't remember the thing but yeah so like yeah it's um it's quite nice and uh, i designed the installer so that uh the installer is it, it, it pretends it's t so if you don't have t installed you can use the installer line and then type whatever else you want after it so, yeah, I did that so that, you know, I noticed after a few years of brew being popular that every blog post about anything starts with first install home brew, then brew install food. <laughs> I was like, well, that should just be one line, right? So you can do the shirt cool TXYZ curl. Uh, so you need curl. I, I, I spent a while trying to figure out how we could do it without curl <laughs> being installed. But, you know, it, it's, but it's pretty sensible default for most systems to have it. And, and then you can type npx in it or whatever, you know, npx create react app. And it will grab node and grab npx, create the call the create react app bit. And then you'll just end up with the directory there. And you step into it, t knows that it's a react app and loads node into your terminal. So, and then when you, when you cd dot dot, it's gone. If you type node again, it, it doesn't work because it's not there. Well, it will with the new version, right? Because it will... Uh... It'll, it'll work but like uh, when you step into the directory it uses the correct version of node now this is really neat for things like just trying out if uh, your project's going to work with the latest version like react uh, node 19 came out what last month mm -hmm. and uh with t you can just do node carrot 19 and it knows to grab node 19 and oh, no. do npm start and then you can see if it works if it doesn't work then you can go oh, i'll try that later and like node 19 is gone it's not there anymore. So it sounds like it's a lot of things kind of wrapped up into one. Yeah, it. I'm trying to simplify it a little bit, but uh, essentially T is like an environment manager. I think it's like the way we should talk about it. So you construct environments, which are collections of open source software. And then mm -hmm. in some manner, you're utilizing those, be it like a project you're working on, or script you're running. Like with T, you can put the dependencies for a script at the top as YAML front matter. And mm. as long as you're executing it via T, which happens automatically, right? If you use the T magic where whatever command you type just installs it, then that script can depend on like anything from open source, um, which is you know something I've always wanted. Like I think the power of scripts in open source history has been limited by the fact that if you're writing a script for other people to use, you don't want to make them install a bunch of other stuff first. So you end up with a bunch of like crappy bash scripts because <laughs> everyone knows bash is installed. 
But like writing scripts in Bash is awful. If you want to use Ruby or Python or even like Dino or for TypeScript, then it shouldn't be something that you have to put a burden on the person you're giving this script to. It should just work, uh, which it does. So I love all like the technical parts and pieces, but something that like really stands out to me and probably you as an open source uh, maintainer contributor. Um, there's kind of this concept of paying these contributors. How how does that work in T and what does that look like? Yeah, so we haven't uh, implemented our blockchain component yet, but sure. we're uh, doing heavy research on it. Uh, we got a white paper out which gives the gist. So the gist is, because we're a package manager and we know the whole open source graph, we uh, understand the relationships between all the different packages. So we know which ones are important and which ones not aren't. It's a kind of page rank, uh, effectively, and a page rank that can't be gained very easily. Like uh, if you uh, are an, like someone who wants to steal money from the system, you could say, okay, I, I created this dependency and this dependency and this app, and they use it all. But if nobody uses any of that stuff, there's no actual usage, then you don't get any money from it, right? So yeah. we're directing the token to the actual usage based on the dependency graph. Um, so it's, it's a really nice use of, use of cryptocurrency, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, uh, I keep hearing from people that it's one of the first genuine utilities that they've seen for a cryptocurrency that isn't a scam, you know, and uh, <laughs> that, that's rewarding. <laughs> Uh, but obviously, we're hoping to have the testnet up by the end of the year. Cool. Uh, we're doing some serious research right now. We're, we're trying to figure out what kind of percentages, because one of the features of it is um, token enters like at the top into like uh, the packages that don't have anything that depends on them. And then it flows to the dependencies for each of those uh, packages all the way down. So, uh, you know, the stuff at the bottom, which doesn't get funding, like uh, I use G uh, Core.js or JS Core, I forget which way around it is, as a good example, because like pretty much every node app that exists depends on this package, but nobody knows they're depending on this package. Like, we call these projects Nebraska projects after the XKCD comic that uh, pointed it out. It's, uh, it's called Dependency, and it's, it's block uh, tower of bricks. You've probably seen it. It's very famous. I don't think I and have seen this. Down at the bottom, there's this little precarious brick, and it is narrow pointing to it. And it, so it's holding up the whole software ecosystem, essentially. And it, the arrow says, uh, this project thanklessly maintained by some person in Nebraska since 2003. And, uh, you know, that's the problem we see with many of the existing attempts to fund open source, like bounties and sponsorships, is that they only really sponsor the top of the, the stack the sexy stuff that everybody knows about. And uh, there's commonly issues with uh, some of the projects that we call Nebraska projects. Like last year, there was Log4j, and they're this little-known dependency that it seems like an awful lot of enterprise software depended on. And uh, there was a major security exploit discovered, and uh, all these people were scrambling to like figure out what this project they've never heard of was. And there's these poor maintainers who are getting all this abuse and like uh, hate, hateful email because their project has this security problem that's, you know, Minecraft could be rooted by typing something into the chat box, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, with our system, they would get 
a token in proportion to their usage. So they could use that to uh, pay for maintenance and like work on these projects, hopefully, full-time. That's the plan. Make the token valuable enough that people can work on open source full-time. Like I've wanted to my entire career. But I'm hoping it makes it possible for people to like quit Facebook and Microsoft and companies like this uh, and work on open source because I, I don't think that a lot of the people who work at like Facebook and Google are really contributing the, like, the best value for the, you know, they're very smart people and they shouldn't be tweaking ad algorithms they should be making the software that powers the internet that's what they're capable of doing so I'm hoping yeah once the token gets um, gets up in utility and value based on like the package manager being a genuinely useful tool uh, that yeah that sort of scenario could happen what is so i'm horrible with web3 but what does that essentially look like every time i want to install dependencies i would need enough like tokens to purchase that or like how does how does yeah. that actually work well obviously we considered the idea of micro payment system yeah. so you, you know installing node would cost you a no point zero zero one cents or something um but fundamentally i don't think it's, it, this would work if we changed how open source is used now and consumed and how people expect it to work open source is free uh i don't think t would succeed if you had to do micropayments for everything you installed even if they were small uh so we are using a proof of stake model for oh. the blockchain and this is like one of the reasons like, I think this could only work with cryptocurrency. So proof of stake, uh, apart from the fact that it's more energy efficient than Bitcoin's proof of work type system. Yeah. Ethereum recently switched from proof of work to proof of stake for that reason, you know, to save the world, uh, avoid climate change. But uh, with proof of stake, uh, periodically there are rewards that are created. Like uh, effectively you're in inflating money out of thin air. And uh, those rewards go to the people who are staking the system. So in our system, you stake against the packages you care about okay. as a user. So T could tell you which ones those are. Uh, you've installed these packages, so you should stake against these packages. Well, I'm hoping companies, you know, big companies like Microsoft, like can uh, can get their, all their staff to get T to calculate their dependencies, so that Microsoft is actually staking, you know, five, ten million dollars a year against right. all the open source they actually use. That's, That's really cool. for them, but yeah. it goes a long way. And like Brittany would probably have to put a million in for Svelte because she installs it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, that's so, that's a really cool idea, especially at the corporate level where they're utilizing so much open source these days and yeah. like just no financial contribution back or um, at least in hours for people like maintaining things. That would yeah. be huge. Yeah, indeed. Like, I have some sympathy for that because if you're using like uh, 90, 100,000 open source projects, it's not realistic for you to right. really contribute to all of those. It's not even really realistic to contribute to just a few. Right, but, right. Uh, effectively we're automating that for you and so i believe that there will be no excuse and that the people maintaining open source and like, the people maintaining open source are very quietly optimistic about what we're doing i've had a lot of private direct messages from uh, the people who could actually benefit from this that they're really excited and hopeful that this is going to work but like, the skepticism i get is from uh, the, the consumers of open source who hate crypto like we were on hacker news very briefly when we launched and it was taken down because any mention of crypto is an immediate ban 
And so, you know, we're having to do like a lot more grassroots marketing than uh, I think is really fair. I have a, I have a hit list of companies I'm going to shame <laughs> one day. It's, it's shocking. Yeah, like, it's, it's really... You mentioned a crypto and like, they're like, yeah. we're not doing anything with you, nothing. It's really frustrating that blockchain and kind of Web3 stuff has gotten so like yeah. entrenched with crypto so tightly. It's it's frustrating. Like, you know, the bad rep is deserved. Uh, yeah. Companies like mine are going to have to pull it out of that bad reputation and it's going to be slow and difficult. But, you know, there was a lot of scamming and there was a lot of stealing. There was a lot of bad actors involved. Mm -hmm. so I sympathize. Yeah, but for sure. But we're a good... We're a good company. <laughs> so like, you know, uh, we're not going to make any money out of the, the proof of stake system. Uh, there isn't like a percentage that goes to our company. Everything goes to the people staking because they need rewards like bank giving you an interest rate, right? And yep. then 50% or whatever percentage people decide goes straight into the open source ecosystem and all yeah. the way down to all the That's amazing. It, just yeah. imagine if that was their day one, just how many more people could work in that industry, in the, in the OSS industry as a whole. Right, people it's like myself, we, we want to work on open source. Like it's what we enjoy the most. Like everything we do at T is open source. So I'm getting the best of both worlds now. It's, it's true. <laughs> it's true. You know, there's a lot of people out there who They struggle. Yeah. They would love to work on open source full time, but people need to eat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. People have families. Got to take care of them. Um, I'm probably missing a million questions about T because often when we have products like this, I just haven't used it enough. What am I missing next that's still out there? Um, well, we got some exciting things planned. Um, I'm very, very excited about one of these uh, things we're building, and uh, don't know if I should. Like, it's it's going to be cool when I release it, and uh, I'm trying to keep it secret. Like we're a, we're a couple of weeks out from releasing the episode. If that helps. Yeah, no, it's going to be mid year. It's going to be mid year. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> but um, you know, one of the things that I'm working on currently, which I think is going to be pretty cool, is uh, what I call T slash command. So um, T by itself, as I say, doesn't have an install command. But like sometimes you need an install command. And uh, we made it so that if you make a symlink to T uh, with the name of a utility, and this was a community contributed fe feature, actually, uh, just proving the value of open source. I don't know why it didn't occur to me. It's a great idea. So if you have a symlink like it's node and it's a symlink to T, then uh, typing node installs node. Uh, if it's not installed, otherwise it just executes it. And uh, it, I've had a lot of fun with this. Uh, like I sign all my Git commits, but um, it's partly because I'm working on T so much. I delete my T directory all the time. So I had this period of weeks where every time I deleted the T directory, I couldn't sign my commits. So you look on the history of T, uh, the commit history, and half the commits are unverified and half of them are verified. <laughs> I'm and, so uh, bad at keeping up with that. I feel like all yeah. my stuff's unverified. <laughs> Well, you know, one, one, you know, one of the things that's going to be great about what we're doing with the protocol is everything has to be signed, you know, otherwise we can't give you money because oh, you have yeah, to prove I mean, like, that's part of the nature of protocol as well, of course. Uh, so, um, as soon as we in implemented this feature, I have a symlink to BPB, which is the thing I used to sign my commits. It's this called, so it's just a small rust utility that does GPG signing, but it's just way easier to use. So now, whenever I delete my T directory, as soon as I commit, T automatically installs it again. <laughs> it's like, it's just making it transparent so that you're not thinking about whether or not you have to use the package manager. It just magically happens. 
uh, that which was kind of a lot of the goals that I had going into this. It's like abstract away the package manager. No one likes package managers. They're tedious. They're in the way. You have something you're trying to work on, and I want you to work on that. And I don't want you to think about T or the package manager. I just want you to get on with what you're doing. Anyway, that was an aside. T, T slash command <laughs> is... Um, why did I even talk about that? I don't know. Sorry. Uh, but uh, essentially, <laughs> if you fork this repository and uh, you, you make it in the right format, then we automatically will bring that in for T. So the entire command, sub-command system um, will be something that you can contribute to without a pull request. And, uh, you know, one of the things I learned about open source is that a lot of people are terrified of making a pull request. You know, they see a big, important project and they're like, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. So with this mechanism, I'm taking away like the need for you to even think about that. If you have a cool idea, fork the repo, implement it, and then next time you type it into T, it'll be there. Obviously, I can ask the user if they're sure first, because I don't want to be executing like unvetted code automatically. But you know, it'll be there, and um, so that's coming out hopefully within the next month or so. And uh, that idea was because you know, I I just I know open source is all about the other contributions, everybody else's participation. Otherwise, it's not it's not open source, and you don't get the best ideas, and you don't form the best way forwards with what you're doing you know how do you how do you handle like a malicious actor like that will it <laughs> at the t level stop that or yeah well like i i probably won't initially implement anything to uh, to allow us to blacklist but sure. almost certainly pretty quickly we will yeah uh, have a blacklist that gets updated uh, before we install <laughs> yeah. the thing that might be bad but yeah, yeah, so it's something you've got to think about. Like the truth is, like there is an awful lot of trust in open source, like, an awful lot. Uh, when you got, you know, Node has made it even worse than ever with like three thousand odd dependencies being installed, and nobody vets all of that. Nobody. <laughs> and one of the nice things that we're going to have with our protocol, like, an additional benefit that we realised while we were designing it, was that we can uh, take away people's token if uh, there's malicious intent. So we call it slashing. So essentially we can improve the security of the open source ecosystem, provided that there's enough people looking for that. And we incentivize people to look for it. So if you find a malicious uh, piece of code in a popular open source project, you submit that to the TDAO. And if we agree it's malicious, then you earn the token that we take away from the the project. Uh, We give it to you. So... uh, it's like incentivizing black hats at uh, white hats. Yeah. I mean, sorry. <laughs> white, white um, hats. Yeah. yeah, but like in a in a greater and broader sense. So I'm very excited about what we can do for the security of the system. Well, I think it's only going to get worse. But there is a remarkable amount of trust. It's the truth. But all of us, when we're building things on top of open source, are just like crossing our fingers, really. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Like every day. <laughs> <laughs> cool um i think i mean that's all of our questions i'm kind of thinking out loud here that we're probably gonna have to have you on again in like six months to see where this thing really really heads to um it's gonna be interesting to like one day maybe never mention npm or homebrew again like that would be weird and we just talk about tea so you know uh, uh 
maybe npm will disappear but um i don't intend to replace npm i just intend for people to use it via t yeah. uh, something That's i yeah. intend to try and clarify like we're hoping npm's registry they'll want to move it into the t graph yeah uh, so sure. that people get compensated and that's you know it's going to be open source and open in every sense of the word so that they can and we'll provide libraries and tooling to make it easy but uh yeah i don't believe in replacing some of these things like we're replacing some of these system packages to some extent but uh we're not going to replace npm uh, yeah, fair the, the javascript javascript community know best how to replace npm <laughs> we hope i don't know <laughs> Cool. Um, I think what we're going to do is move on into our perfect picks. And actually, Max, you are up first with your sweet warp. Oh, yes. So uh, I only discovered this this week, which I think is uh, terrible uh, for, of me. Like, I should obviously know these things much sooner. Not sure how long it has been out. Maybe it's more recent than I think. Because it's so polished, I just assume it must have been out for a year. Um, so I... Uh, I, you know, I was a Linux guy for years, and then I switched to Mac uh, one one day because my Wi-Fi driver wouldn't work, and I just got fed up with it. And <laughs> I've used the uh, the default Mac terminal since, even though like everyone's like iTerm two is a fabulous terminal; it's better than the default. I found the Mac terminal to be pretty great, and I I tend to like defaults, especially when you're doing things like packaging. As soon as you change anything. <laughs> Something breaks somewhere, like yeah. when you're trying to build 10,000 packages on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but I think this is a beautiful and wonderful piece of software. I'm very, very impressed by it. They thought carefully about what the terminal needed, that what was lacking relative to what we got. And so uh, it's got like great books. Um, which makes sense. Uh, why do I have to manage completion? Like uh, managing completion is something I'm going to have T do, but I'm less incentivized now because Warp does such a, a great job with it. To be honest, they don't do as good a job as Fig, which is another thing I really like. Mm. Um, yeah, Fig, yeah. Fig really cool. definitely be checked out. And uh, they have the command is always at the bottom, which makes sense. So uh, you you don't know you're not looking around to see where you are. The way they space these things out is just great. I love how it's red when there's an error. I like how you can scroll through the previous blocks. It's just very thoughtful and it's fast. Yeah. Written in Rust, that's good. I like it. Yeah, it's. A, I think when it first came out, I checked it out because of the AI stuff it was using um, and build on Rust and like. At that time, we were interviewing people on Rust like crazy because mm. I felt like it was going to replace every tooling piece that was out there. I still feel like it's just going like crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it we... it's, it's amazing how many UI frameworks for like real apps, not just web apps. Yeah. Sorry, so yeah. real apps. We should yeah. probably pull uh, Chris back on and chat about Rust. Yeah. Uh, Brittany, you are up next. So uh, my first pick, I hope I didn't pick this. I may have picked this in another podcast. I, I know I picked it on Svelte Radio. So uh, anyways, Skeleton is a UI component library, but it's built on Tailwind, which pretty much everything that I use now is on Tailwind. Um, I do work with Svelte Sirens, Coding Cat, and we all use Tailwind. So it's a really cool toolkit, but it focuses on now, it only focuses on Svelte Kit. 
So it's primarily focused on using spelt components. And if you're going to be in the spelt ecosystem, it's really good. It uses actions and things that you can plug in to do things in spelt. But if you're ever going to move to another framework, obviously this may not be your choice, which is Alex and I's conversation earlier about skeleton. So there's pros and cons there, obviously, but it's, it's just a really cool tool if you're using it in a spelt app. Yeah, it's a tough decision too. Like, uh, so the other one that we often talk about is Daisy UI, which has a couple limitations, which Skeleton, you know, mentions, but it, it keeps it, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It not felt specific. So it's, yeah, so it's more general and, uh, movable. So it's yeah. like so you we, could move it to another move. framework. Yeah, when we were we were kind of we've been rewriting over to Svelte, um, we actually moved a ton of stuff when we were using Daisy, and it just moved like we didn't have mm -hmm. to touch it. So that was kind of amazing to me. Whereas this becomes a little more challenging if you're bouncing between React and Svelte and all the fun stuff. I think the thing that made me want to check out and try Skeleton in a project is the theme generator. So this is one of the mm -hmm. things that was unique to me. I know Daisy has themes, but if you click the theme generator down there, you can actually plug in your own Tailwind theme and it gives you that config file so you can build on top of it. And I really liked that part of it, that full customizable piece. And I think Daisy could implement something like this and that would be really cool. I was, I was thinking, I could be Do wrong. they have one? And I yeah, just don't I was, remember. I was thinking they do at the very bottom, you can do this. Oh, they do. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't realize they had one, but yeah. I think it's always doing our purple. Yeah. So, okay. So we I don't can... know. We'll, we'll talk offline more. We'll see yeah. where we get. <laughs> what's your, what's your second pick? Oh, my second pick has basically been what feels like my whole holiday was just <laughs> like playing Minecraft. I never got into Minecraft before. Like I've tried to play a couple times and I never understood what it was about. I would just kind of wander aimlessly and not get it. And then I started building like we play with my kids and my husband and we just sat down as a family and now we can all play on the same server we build like these towns up and then we travel and go and see other places and build up a new town and it's just it's been this fun like family activity that all of us can get involved in so That's i really cool. enjoyed it i i don't like playing minecraft uh my son's been playing since he could function a yeah at all <laughs> Um, but I love playing Minecraft Dungeons with them. I have not checked out Legends, so I'm kind of curious uh, what that's mm, like. I don't know that one. We just play the regular one, but we play it on PS5. And then I do have nice. Java and Bedrock on the computer, too, on PC. He actually, um, he's been doing custom commands. So he, like, runs over a block, and it does all this crazy stuff. I hear a lot of people get into programming through yeah. Minecraft by doing yeah. mods and things. Yeah, that's what he's been doing. It's interesting. Cool. A um, couple things. Uh, oh my Git, we we did at work, and I actually uh, did an interview for work. This is the coolest thing visually that I've seen come out of out of Git, if that's even possible. Uh, a cool thing that is. But we talk a lot about like the dependency pieces and things like that. It's really fun to see kind of all of the different things that this offers. So um, the way that you can like learn get through this as if you're challenged like me and you, you like really only learn visually i found this to be really neat to be able to do it so um, so is it teaching you how to use git yes yeah okay so it's, nice it's really cool like to learn how to like 
just see it happening like you know me i always have to go back to like yep. uh the graph or something like that to actually look at it because i still i'll fire a command i'm like i have no idea other than like <laughs> code showed up i merged some code i get that but like visually this is a huge help for me yeah um of course as we mentioned before the show like everyone's talking about this so i think i have to perfect pick it but this is the new chat GPT. Um, it's freaking mind-blowing, uh, all the stuff you can do with it. I think uh, I asked it to code the other day. I don't know why I'm not logged in anymore, but let's try it here. This might have been Clark's pick last week when we did. Uh, oh, was it? It might have been because he, he used it to code a stealth uh, layout page. Let's see if this works. I might have to fast forward this this uh, part of the episode here. So yeah, here it's writing out a, a Svelte component completely on the fly for a login. Yeah. And it looks pretty 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 decent, I would say. It it does a great job. I I've been using it yeah. a lot. It's even got like the handlers correct and everything in there. It's kind of crazy. Have you guys used um? the the github one what's copilot copilot have you have you compared oh, yeah. the difference between the two um copilot is not as good in my opinion okay. but it is in your editor right there yeah you. yeah um you, you know you can write a comment in the style that you would to chat gpt and it tries but i've had a lot more success with chat gpt certainly and mm -hmm. uh i use a lot of different languages on a day-to-day -day basis because you know t supports them all and uh, you, you can ask it really obscure questions. Like, I've received this error message from this tool. What does it? What do you think it means? And oh. Google doesn't know. Stack Overflow is mixed, but ChatGPT is uh, it gives gives an answer, and often it's enough that you then can Google some more stuff and figure it out. Like, that's what's been most interesting for me. The wild part to me, like I've asked it certain things and it's like, we don't actually like use the live internet for this. Mm. So we can't find it. I'm like, what happens if you did? Like what happens if you added yeah. a search, like whatever, Google to this? I couldn't imagine what you couldn't do at that point. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, we always uh, joke about our jobs kind of going away in a few years to AI. And I'm like, yeah, like, mm. this is, this is scary good. So it's, it's worrying. I've had sleepless nights worrying. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like I, I just Mark this podcast as the beginning you know, of the end, I guess. <laughs> like, I feel that what we're doing is somewhat AI resistant because uh, I don't see an AI figure out how to make Python relocatable on Linux, which like, took me uh, three or four days a few months back. But then again, like working with ChatGPT, it, it's so capable. Like, right. I think maybe. It, would be fine. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, we, we all need to be a little cautious about the future. I think they, I watched like a TED talk or something. Um, and it was talking about, uh, I believe it was Lake Michigan or something like that. And a drop of water going in it. And if it was from like 1900 until like last year, it had like barely even no puddle of AI. And it's because AI learns from itself as it keeps building. And by the end of this year, the lake was full. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, <laughs> like that's yeah. that's oh kind of creepy gosh. to start to think about, right? So I've I don't seen, know. I've seen, we'll the, see. uh, I've seen the video as well. And yeah, it's like uh, 
for so long like that you couldn't even see the puddle and yeah. because it's exponential then suddenly yeah. it's full and that's what we're seeing right like last year like two years ago really say like everyone's like ah, ai sucks can't do anything then we started to get these ai generation uh, tools for images and everyone's like wow that's pretty amazing but it's still yeah. you know it's not it's not intelligent right now we got these chat tools that it seems pretty smart so next year yeah when is that going to replace google and siri and all the things on our phones that's I what i need i was just reading about uh bing or like microsoft's thing i don't know if it's still called bing um how they're implementing chat gpt like into that oh and it's like well that's a next we, step right we got a bit of time because it's so expensive like yeah uh, i saw current estimates so it's something like a million dollars a day to run chat gpt wow so you know uh, they got a lot of funding so they can afford it and they're getting a lot of interest and in users and probably data but yeah the costs have to go down substantially it's just they've, the cost they've, of the gpus they've got a great amount of press because like google immediately came out and said we can do all of this today like yeah. you can use our services. I'm like, yeah, but you haven't shown people like you need <laughs> to show people. So it's kind of it's, interesting. It's proof that you have to have a good product. You can't just have good tech. Yep. Exactly. Uh, you know, you could do this stuff with GPT three, like six months ago. Yeah. But the UI sucked enough that nobody tried it. And then uh, they made a good UI on top of it, tweaked it a little bit in various other ways. And like millions of people are now using it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Good, I mean, even one. like Warp when it first came out, that was their uh, a big part of it was GPT three was under the hood. So no one talked about it after that because it <laughs> didn't do the amazing stuff that Chat GPT does. So I don't know. Anywho, we're down like a crazy rabble. So Max, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate everything you did with homebrew or brew, um, however you want to state that. Uh, really incredible. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with uh, tea once that comes out and kind of the and next. And what it does for the open source community too. Yeah, that's that's a really big part. That's that's hits me right in the uh, the heart on that one. So well, thank you. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you next time.